0: David. good morning friends really great to be here always love coming to harlow and be with david and carol and all of you and just getting out of the car in the car park and just greeting so many people that i seem to know so well and it's almost like coming home rather than coming to a um a church along long way away great to be with you all well this morning yeah. um i enjoyed the we always enjoyed the band on that first song that you were singing i think if there's one instrument i would have added to it great as it is, is the saxophone. So anybody play the saxophone here? You want to get in that? or well, pray for a saxophonist to come in. That would really make that a world-class band there. Great band. Going to be with you. David mentioned uh, uh, books, and uh, some of you have seen my book, The Best Is Yet To Come, um, and have had that. I'm not sure that when I was here last time that this book had, has come out. This has just come out recently. Ford, did I have this with me last time? Perhaps not. And it's a novel, uh, and it's based around the people trafficking um, industry, sadly. Um, It's based in this country, the United States, Ghana, different parts. And uh, there's enough gospel. If you've got a non-Christian friend, then there's enough gospel in there. It's really an adventure book, really, but um, thriller, but there's enough gospel in there to lead anybody to Christ. So those are available at the back as well. Um, Amen. Now, last time I was here, I was um, talking about a God who is a God who is a God more than. Uh, he wants to do more than ever we could ask or imagine. Uh, I hath not seen, nor has he heard, nor has it entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for those that love him. So these things that God has for us are not things that... Well, if I pray very, very hard, then perhaps God will be, take me into consideration and do things for my life. This is God has already prepared them for us. Someone say prepared. 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 So God has prepared these things. So the big question we're looking at today is uh, not, isn't God a generous God uh, and wants to bless and bring wholeness and, and restoration to our life? But why do you and I let things that God has got for us slip through our fingers so how is it when God has a heart to do things that somehow it just goes through our hands and we lose it why aren't we living and I don't mean I must say why aren't you living why aren't why isn't the church today living in that blessing that God has got for us and I, I've Prepare a word this morning, praying about the fellowship, praying about your church. You know, when you're itinerant like I am, obviously you preach many, many times over the 50 years I've been a minister. And you say, what do these preachers do? They come in, they just find a few favourite sermons. Well, I've been here so long, many, I haven't got any favourite sermons left. So I have to really seek God. What does God want to say? That's a good idea, isn't it? What does God want to say to the house here? Sermon, message, not sermon. The message I'm bringing this morning, never preached anywhere before, and I just feel it's just right for some of us who are in church today. And uh, if I give it a title, I would say, how do we mend our nets? Now, let's go to the scriptures and look at the passages that we're going to be looking at. And I, I don't want you to like me, but I've read the Bible a few times in my life, and I still read a passage and think, I never saw that before. Do you do that? Where did that come from? I'd never seen this before. And uh, the story I'm going to read to you, we all know well, about Jesus calling his disciples, there's an element to it that I had never noticed. And let's read it. It's in Mark chapter 1, and it's beginning to read at verse 16. You don't need to turn to it in your Bible or on your iPad. You can just listen if you wish, but I'm going to read it out. And it says, as Jesus walked beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you to fish for people. And once they left their nets and followed him, right, so the point we've got here, Jesus found people and used them because they were already active, amen, in doing something. Okay, so God doesn't choose people to serve him powerfully who are just lazy or just couldn't care less, got that kind of... He looks for people who are involved in what they're doing, even in their own lives. They have a passion to do something. So he saw some people doing something. He said, right, instead of doing this for the natural, then I want you not to be fishers of fish, I want you to be fishers of people. And he calls them. Now he goes on to say this. So at once they left their nets and they followed him. And when he'd gone a little further, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and his brother John in a boat preparing their nets. In the Amplified Bible it says, mending and washing their nets. Without delay he called them and they left their father Zebedee in the boat and the hired men and followed him. Now here's a question for us to ask ourselves. Was one of these people active and another one inactive? People were bringing in fish, able to sell it, make money. Others of them were not bring, doing anything that was going to bring money in. They weren't. They weren't adding to the business. They weren't fishing. They were mending the nets. Now, take your mind back to not two sets. We have got two sets of brothers. Two sets of one set of brothers. It says is fishing. Another set of brothers is mending the nets. Now let's take two sisters. Mary and Martha, Mar- Mary, um, Martha was the one who wanted always to be active, she had to be making a meal for Jesus, Jesus has come to the house, do you know, people come to our house sometimes unexpectedly, and you think, oh, well, have I got anything, you know, to prepare, or shall we them try and get a meal, you know, it's an unexpected thing, but you know, they're friends, and whatever we're doing, they'll eat with us, whatever we're eating, but someone tells you the creator of the universe is coming for a meal, I mean, that's pressure, isn't it? I mean, it's not, you know, if it's some cook, you know, um, cord and blue cook was coming, it put a bit of pressure on us. The creator of the universe is coming. Well, Jesus was coming for a meal. In fact, he wasn't coming for a meal. He was coming to see them. He wasn't coming for a meal. He's coming to see them. Martha goes into the kitchen and she busies herself making this meal. Now, if you'd have passed her kitchen door and knocked the door and you say to uh, have you got time for a chat, a cup of coffee? And she would say, please, not today. I've got Jesus in the front room. And he's just turned up. And I'm making a meal for him you know, any other time, not now. And so she's you know, trying to get everything ready, everything together. And then Jesus comes in the kitchen. And he says, uh, Martha, what are you doing? He says, I'm making you a meal. You've come to see us. Listen, I didn't ask for a meal. Your sister's sitting, listening to me, just resting and receiving what I've got to say. You're making a meal I haven't ordered. You're active for me, but I didn't ask you to be. What she's doing is spending time with me. So Mary was being refreshed. She wasn't working, but her engagement with Jesus was more important than activity. You following what I'm saying? And so in our connection with Jesus, there are things that we need to do for God, but it's those things that we do for God are not as important as being intimate and, and, and in a relationship of worship with God. Are you following me? Yes. Now, it's not a case of either all. I'm an activist and I'm a worshiper. We need to do both. But there's something in the way that some of us are wired up. If we're not doing, 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 like Martha in the kitchen, we feel we're not really Christians. And what God wants us to engage. Now, those were two sisters who were doing two different things. Here, and this is what I hadn't noticed before, there were two sets of brothers. Um, and, and they were doing the Martha Mary thing, like the sisters. One was active and one was mending the nets. You see, if you don't mend the nets in your spiritual life, then whatever God gives you, you're going to lose. Fishermen who don't mend and clean the nets can have a huge load of fish, and and, and yet they sort of, they said, well, how is it we just pulled in? Well, there's that hundreds of fish here, and now we pull them into the boat, and there's only 30. How did that happen? Because you didn't spend time mending the nets. If you'd spent time mending the nets, right, and, th- and, and didn't disparage that as not activity, if you'd spent that time quietly mending the nets, then what would happen? You would have retained all that was there for you. I want to look at three areas. I want to look at three areas where we lose things in prayer. Why doesn't God, inverted commas, answer more of our prayers? Sometimes we need to mend the nets when it comes to prayer. In terms of even our finances, why is it, you know, that when we pray for God to meet our financial needs that we don't see that happening to the degree that we're praying? Sometimes we have to mend the nets. Why is it that if, says, like the Apostle Paul, I can do all things through Christ that strengthens me, how is it there is not as much power in my life as a Pentecostal, spiritful man or woman that I, re- I should really have? And the answer is sometimes mend the nets. Mending the nets is not as exciting as fishing. All right? And so, I'm, but I'm not here to bring a word that will, ex- I hope last time, you know, we were encouraged that God has got more for us. But, you know, I want to speak the other side of it. I want to talk about if we do not do certain things within our life that stops us losing some of the things that God has got for us, it's pointless praying for more if what we get, we lose. So mending the nets might be a bit mundane. It might be, wait for it, it might be a bit challenging, but I'm here to tell the truth. I'm not here just to get a lot of amens, because when you say you need to do A, B, oh goodness me, that's a bit tough, I don't want to do that. Uh, let me have an instant blessing without me being responsible in any way. I just want God to bless me. I was in a meeting, and uh, just occurs to me, I was in a meeting was it, about 10 days ago with UCB, United Christian Broadcasters, where they were bringing a few friends of that group together uh, who were... Um, well, they saw them as influencers. They were looking at how to sort of advance the work of UCB, which is one of the best Christian broadcasting organizations in this country, certainly. And so I was with them, all the names that you might recognize doing this. And um, there were a number of presentations. Someone had come over from, from New York to bring some presentation. There's this woman who was an expert in branding and all that kind of thing. So a very secular kind of uh, view, but necessarily, sometimes we have to learn from the world as well. And you say, Wow, that's not in the Bible. Yes, it is in the Bible. Jesus says, The children of this world are wiser in their dealings with their own than are the children of light. I mean, business people. Doing stuff in, stuff in their commitment and in, their, in, in the stuff that they do, and the bottom line is just money. How much more should we be focused when our bottom line is not money but saving souls? Jesus says, "The children of this world." You know, John Ford, who was the John Ford, who was the maker of the uh, you know the first mass-produced motor car, the Model T. He said he counted. He counted the existence of the church as a sign of God's en- existence for no other business run so badly would ever stay in business. <laughs> so we have to be sensible about how we do things, right? But, and so there is a... Se- so anyway, we saw it, this thing, and this woman was from New York. What she said was good and helpful. However, when it came to people sharing different stuff, um, uh, those of us who would come along, there was this young woman, I don't know how she would be, I, don't, I guess in a lady's age... Young lady's age, I'm guessing she's in her late 20s. I think she was from either Nigeria or Ghana. And she said a powerful thing in the open discussion. This is what she said. She said, when she was a girl, the most well-known verse in the Bible for Christians was John 3.16. For God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son. Okay? Today, the most well-known verse amongst Christians is in Jeremiah. I know the plans I have for you to prosper you, to give you hope and a future. Now, both of those verses are in the Bible. Are you following me? Both of those verses are important. Both of those verses are true. But one centers on, how can I reach the lost? The next one centers on, how can I get blessed? Right? Right? So, we've got to make sure that, you know, that we get, we want to reach the loss, but God wants to bless us as well and keep that balance. Because a Christian life is so much about balance. You know, if, if, I, if I'm rowing a boat or you're rowing a boat and I pull on the left oar, then I'm going to go around in circles that way. If I pull in the right oar, I'm going to go around in circles that way. If I pull on both oars, I'm going to make progress. And it, a lot of the things in our Christian walk are two oar issues. The the word, the great preacher, the great Bible teacher here, the word and the spirit. so we're engaging with the spirit by the praise band. We really blessed us earlier on, you know, engaging us with God, that's important. But then we need the word as well. So if the meeting was all preaching or all singing, it wouldn't be a balanced situation. It's word and spirit, it is activity, fishing, and it's mending nets. Right. It's getting that balance, and so what we're talking about this morning is is living in that balance. So let's look at some of the the pra- why is it that when God has given us such a power to, powerful tool in prayer that we don't see the answers? Now, some of them I've got to tell you is that you know God didn't answer my prayer because He didn't give me what I want. Listen, answers to questions are not just yes. You know. Mum said, "Dad's one of your children." You said, "Your children's Christmas is coming up. What would you like?" I'd like a live hand grenade. <laughs> How many parents are going to buy, buy it? You're not going to do it. Why? Because you know, as a parent, it's not going to be good. They might have seen it thrown around on TV and the cowboys and Indians, but it's not good for you. And when you say no, the little child would go, "Mummy didn't answer my question." Yes, she did. She said no. And sometimes when we pray for things, God says no. And sometimes God says yes. And sometimes God says wait, because it's not the right time. So some of the answer prayer stuff is, well, it's not the right time, or it's not the best thing for you and your... Do you know, I look back on my life as a Christian, and I thank God for prayers he never answered. (laughs) Hey, Thank God you didn't answer that prayer. When I was a teenager, I would have married her probably. (laughs) You see what I mean? (laughs) You know, I want all oh, this, this, she must she has to be my wife, she's so wonderful. Yeah, but she wasn't the right person. God said no, so it didn't happen. Now that's just a frivolous, well, it's not a frivolous, is it? The, it's not frivolous, that's mind-blowing. But there are things in our life that we felt were right for us and God didn't give us, I could give you a list of them. I could have think things that Marilyn and I pray for, which we look back now, financially would have ruined us. I said, well, thank you, Jesus. Perhaps sometimes I, I, you know, it cost us tens of thousands of pounds anyway. And God said no. I, th- I, I thought, why did God say no? And we were really upset God said no until we found out why God said no. So, the, you know, clear that one out of the way. Some things are about God saying no. But there are some things that could have been ours, but we let them slip through the net. Now, it's a bit. everybody ready to be a little bit uncomfortable here? Get ready for a bit uncomfortable, right? Number one is, sin unrepented of means that we will not get answers to prayer. Isaiah 59 verse 2. I'll give you a text for every one of these. I'm not going to be preaching on each point because I want to come to the the main thing. But if God's saying something that's in my life that's not right, and I'm not dealing with it, forget praying. Unless it's a prayer of repentance, it ain't going to happen. And so you can pray until you're blue in the face. You can wear your knees out in prayer. Uh, you can fast until you're a skeleton. It's not going to happen. Because if God's telling you to sort something out and you're not sorting it out, why would he answer? If he's asking you to do... See, being faithful to requests is a family thing. God's our Father and we're his children. Right? If God's telling us to do something as Father and we're not doing it, why should he do what we're asking him to do as sons or daughters? You're following me? It's a family thing. So we got to, so, so, if I am praying for something, now, don't get me wrong, I am not saying we've got to be perfect before we get an answer to prayer, otherwise this guy would never get an answer to prayer because this guy isn't perfect. But if we're holding on to something, that's one reason why it's going to go through the net. Number two, somebody says, thank goodness he's moved on from that one. Sin returned to after forgiveness will also deal with that. Now, most sickness is just sickness, you know, it's not we're not sick because we sin. There are elements that when we sin we become sick. Uh, 1, One Corinthians eleven: When we take communion, let a man or woman examine himself, and so let the meat of the bread and drink of the cup. He that eateth and drinketh unworthily, not understanding the Lord's body, eats and drinks judgment against himself. And for this reason, many are weak and sickly among you, and some have even died, taking communion with a wrong heart, and uh, um, should have a government health warning on it, like cigarettes do. It's dangerous. It's dangerous. It's dangerous. It's dangerous. And we got, that's why we examine ourselves, and we say, Lord, I just want to live right and get right. But, but do you know what? When you think of all the sickness, and I've got some of, them, in fact, some of the most godly people I know are struggling with sickness at this time. Most sickness has got nothing to do whatsoever with sin. Are you following me? But there are some small elements that are. And in the Bible, it says one person, uh, one of the people that Jesus healed, he was in that condition because of sin in his life. And when Jesus healed him, he was instantly healed. And then Jesus said, and here's those taking notes, so those listening, I don't know whether you record this or not, but those listening, uh, look, read John 5 14. He says, You've been healed, and you were sick because of unfaithfulness. Now you've been healed. Now make sure you get your life right, because if you don't, something worse will happen to you. Yeah. Wow, how often do we hear that preached? It's in the Bible, David. It's in the Bible, it's in the Bible, and the, and it's not Old Testament, it's John 5, 14, that's what he said. So again, if this person is returning to an old lifestyle, backsliding, and then saying, I'm going to be disobedient to you, but I want you to be obedient to me, Lord, in what I ask, it ain't going to happen. It's going to, get, we need to mend the net, are you following me this morning? We've got to, And when we mend those nets, the prayers that we're praying for, we will retain God's promises. Amen. And Now, wait for this one. Ladies, you're going to like this. You're going to like this, ladies. The Bible says the reason why some men don't get answers to prayer is because they're not treating their wives well. Amen. Is there any amens from the women here? Amen. Right. Now the Bible talks about the faithfulness of the wife to the husband and, you know, the, the relationship of husband and wife. And, you know, we've got to be careful with the headship in the house and all this business. We don't let the world get us into its mold. The Bible's got clear structure of authority within the home. It's not that men are better than women. It is that we are different beings. That's why we get married, because we're different. We need one another. Are you following me? If you're married. But there's a responsibility of the wife to the husband, and there's a responsibility of the husband to the wife. And in the context of the husband, the priest of the house, in that context of the husband, not treating the wife well. The Bible says, here's the text again, um, right? 1 Peter 3. In 1 Peter 3, it says, Husbands, treat your wives well. Not wives well. You haven't got multiple wives. You know what I mean? Treat the wife you've got well. Um... Listen, so that your prayer does not get hindered. Wow. So here's a husband, man of faith in every other respect. It could be a husband preaching. It could be a, a husband leading the worship. It could be a husband serving in the church. It could be a husband doing all this right stuff. But behind the scenes, how many people know God looks about what goes on behind closed doors as well? Hey? Yeah. Eh? yeah, he doesn't just see us with our hands raised and with us dancing, right? Uh, He sees us as we are. And ladies, men, the stuff the wives have to do as well. But he says, be your prayers and be hindered. And I looked at the original, when I say I looked at the original language, I'm not a Greek scholar. But what I did do, I looked to those who are Greek scholars and looked at what it means, hindered. And this is the picture, is a bird that is on a tree and it wants to fly high. And it's really going to go to fly high to its Thing And somebody, wherever it's going, and somebody takes an arrow and shoots it down when it's halfway between where it started and where it's going. And so the bird which was going onto a higher plane has been shot down. And the Bible says that if I'm praying, my prayers go, and I'm a man who's not treating my wife well, then what happens is then, then the prayers in flight is getting to God's heart but my unfaithfulness in treating my wife well shoots the prayer down in flight, never gets to heaven. Say, hey, what's this preaching God? Dave, Pastor David, never have this man come into our church to preach again. <laughs> hey, this is heavy stuff. This is heavy stuff. Now, somebody's here, you'll say, what about my husband? My husband's not a Christian. Or I haven't got a husband, right? Well, we're talking about the praying husband who prays. God has a passion for the widow. Amen? Amen. That he doesn't have, in some areas, he has a compassion towards the widow that he doesn't have towards the married woman because she's in a more, um, and a widow, a widow is not just somebody who, in Bible terms, is somebody whose husband is dead. It may be somebody whose husband has left her for another woman and she's left on her own. Or it may be the man is still in the house He's not treating her well. God has compassion. And so, do you see what I'm saying? We've got to mend the net some way. We've got to say, hey, this is not just about the fact, Lord, that you don't want to give me my time, and you may want to bless me now, but I have to sort some things out. And the last one in, the, in this area is where we have to mend the nets is also in a refusal to Forgive. There won't be a person in this room who has not had someone treat them unfairly and criticize them unfairly or done stuff that's unfair. Now, Jesus never, hardly ever repeats himself in one message, but he does so on two occasions and it's both in the same concept. Jesus says, when people say, how how shall we pray? He says, well, our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. Uh, On earth as it is in heaven, give us this day our daily bread and so forth. And we forgive others as they, you know, yeah, as we forgive forgive others. Then Jesus stops and he says, just in case you didn't hear that, and he doesn't mention any other part of the prayer. Jesus says, just in case you didn't hear that, if you do not forgive others, God will not forgive you. Wow, now that is scary. Why is that scary? Because we all need forgiveness, don't we? Yeah. And I, so if I, if somebody did something to me in that, and, you know, I'm one of the oldest in the room, so say, let's say it's a time, I go back to the 60s. If in the 60s someone did something to me that I don't deserve, and I've harbored that in my heart, all the time and I refuse to forgive them I refuse to forgive them I refuse to forgive them every prayer I've prayed for forgiveness since 1960 has not been forgiven When I've asked for forgiveness we need to mend nets because we're going to be carrying a whole lot of unforgiven stuff that we've been praying about and thinking it's been forgiven wow See, the point of this is not a negative thing. This is positive. It means if I, can, if I can mend the holes in these nets, if I can clean these nets out, then I'm going to be far more powerful in prayer than ever before. Are you with me? Amen. And I can come boldly before the throne of grace. You and I can come boldly before the throne of grace, say, hey, how is it that we're retaining far more of what God has got for us? Be- why? i tell you why. Because instead of thinking activity, 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 we thought of fishing, 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 doing, doing, doing. It is sitting in the boat and getting those nets done so when God gives me a catch, I'm going to retain what God's provided for me. Let's move on. Prayer nets. Prosperity nets. Now, when I soon say the word prosperity, people think I'm an American evangelist so is going to ask for your money. You following me? Right? I don't want your money. Right, but what I do know is this, that the reason why some people, someone say some people, some people, some people are not blessed financially is because they are not walking on a biblical principle of giving. Now, a number of years I, you know, I've driven you know, a decent car and a good car, and, uh, and perhaps some, I don't know what people think, but sometimes I know one lady, I'm parked somewhere, I'm coming out of church, it was an Easter Sunday morning, I remember. And this lady came out, she just happens to be a a white woman. She came out and she looked at my car and looked at me, having heard my said, oh, goodness me. How does a preacher have a car like that? Somebody came out who was African, I think Nigerian. Two seconds later, two seconds after she's left, looked at me, I'm still in the car, ready to press the button. I wish I'd gone earlier. Press the button, no, I didn't. Press the button. And he says, wow, thank God for God's blessing over your life. How did that happen? Same car, same driver. Because one understood that possessions are not wrong as long as we possess them. They are wrong when they possess us. So if God gives you promotion, thank God for promotion. Don't feel guilty about it. If you get an inheritance, you know, if you get a tax refund, thank God for it. You know, don't, you know, God wants to bless you, God wants you to be blessed. But it is God's. Spiritual blessing that is far more important than anything else. And one of the reasons why we don't retain, I'm just going to mention the number one, is that we don't put God first. In Haggai chapter 1, God says, you people are living, and I, you see, it's easy for me to say so. I don't know any of you, that well. I know enough to talk to you, but I don't know what your house is like, I don't know how, whether you tithe or whether you don't tithe, so no one can say I'm getting at them, I don't know, that's a great advantage of being a visitor, I don't know. But there were various status symbols. Some people used to have status symbol. Even having central heating was a status symbol when I was young. You know, I grew up, didn't have a house with central heating. And people had it, you know. Other people, it's a swimming pool. Other people, it's a widescreen TV and all that kind of thing. And the status symbol in Haggai's day was a panelled house. So outside it was brick, OK? And you see the same brick outside as inside. But some people who were really wealthy, what they were doing all right for themselves, They would have paneled inside. So when you sat in the house, you saw wood, not stone. Okay? Outside, you saw the stone. Inside, you saw the wood. And so if you really want to keep up with the Joneses, you had a paneled house. And Haggai 1, he says, how is it that you are living in paneled houses? Nothing wrong with paneled houses. The problem was, but the house of God is lying in ruins. The house of God is in need, and then it's not about the bricks and the mortar, it's the provision that we bring into the house financially. And so people say, Oh, blow that. I can't care whether there's enough for money for evangelism or enough money to support ministry. That's it, as long as I've got my paneled house. And then God says, and do you know what you're gonna find? Haggai chapter one, look at it when you get home. So now the money that you have got will go into a bag with holes. A bag with holes. That means I've got the money, but where did all that money go? There's holes in the bag. We've got to mend the bag. We've got to mend the nets. Got to mend the nets. Proverbs 11, 25, bless others and you will be blessed. Pressed down, shaken together and running over as we bless others. Malachi 3, verse 10, bring your tithe into the storehouse. Now, don't shout at me and say, oh, that's an Old Testament passage. Because if they tithe without knowing Jesus then we should be able to do a bit better under the new covenant. Bring your tithe into stores. This is Bible. Bring your tithe into stores, and then I will pour a blessing on you. Wow, thank you for putting that on the thing for me. You found it. Um, I will pour out a blessing on you. You can't contain it. When did I start tithing? Do you know when I started tithing? When I was given pocket money by my dad when I was this high. I took 10% of my pocket money and I put it in the offering on Sunday. I'm not, says you shouldn't let the right hand know what the left hand does. We shouldn't tell people what you do. I'm not telling you what I do with my money, but I have a goal. Well, I'm already into the goal. and won't tell you what the figures are, obviously, to give far more than 10% out of what I earn, and I don't have a salary anymore. I have a pension. But I've my goal already, um, where are we now? I start the, my calculation in April, 5th of April, so it's not all that far away. Already, my tithe is already for the whole year. Is already I, I allocate it in advance. And it's more than time. Why? Because, A, I want to be obedient to Scripture, but I also want God's blessing as well. Eh? It's selfish! It's selfish! Now, power nets... Are we all right for time, Pastor? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Are you with me this morning? Yes. Yeah. Is this my last time with you? No. <laughs> all right. See, I want God to bless you. I want you to prosper. I want you to prosper and I want you to get your prayers answered. That's what I want. I want your side. I want your prayers to be answered. I want my prayers to be answered. I want I, you know, I want God to, you know, bless so that I can bless others. We want blessed to be a blessing. And now. A little bit longer on this one. This is our final point. Because we're going to give some steps. Because one of the problems with preachers is, me and David and others of you preachers, we preach, if we're not careful, you should sermons. You know what I mean by that? You should be more holy. You should pray more. You should give more, whatever. And what we really need in our life, and what I've always needed in my life, I know that you should. I want to know how to. How do I do this? How do I do it? So, how, what does it mean to mend a net? So, I get some needle. How, how do I get a needle and thread in prayer? Well, you've worked it out already. We're into, I'm talking to intelligent people. That if you know, if the things that we're holding back from God in a sin and stuff like that, forget answers to prayer. It's not going to happen. So, therefore, I need to sort my life out, and then my nets are done. That's simple. So, let's go to a final passage then this morning, and this final passage is found in Second Kings chapter six, verse five. And uh, I don't know, I've, I've just written it out in my notes here, so I don't know how many verses for those uh, really helpful people on, on, on sound and um, graphics who are putting the notes on. Um, but I'll read it out to you, and then they'll find it. I can tell they're going to find it. And when I finish, then they'll just pull that passage up. Second Kings 5. What had happened was some of the students of a Bible college, the sons of the prophets, students of the prophets, had come to Elisha and said... This place is too small for all that God's got for, to do for us. That's a bit worrying, really, because really it should have been the man who was in charge who should know it was too small and telling the students, not the young people. Well, and I don't know how, I'm telling you, many, pa- I've been a pastor for you know, a long time, and so you, you know, when people come and say, hey, pastor, we should be, do- this, excuse me, aren't I the man of God? We are here from God, and I tell you. Sometimes we have to hear from one another, amen? amen. You have to hear from one another because God doesn't just speak to me. And he could have said, excuse me, I'm the boss. If I'll tell you if it's too small or not. And he's really being defensive and, you know, but he doesn't do that. He says, Well, wow, that's great. You caught on that. You, you heard that before I did. Oh, well, okay. Every one of you go and get a pole, get an ax, go out, cut down a tree. And if all of you students get enough wood beams, you'll be able to build one. Incidentally, nothing to do with what I'm preaching. Because there are young people, younger people here, and there are older people here like me. Are you with me? So is it a youth day or is it an old person's day? Oh, thank goodness for that. Thank goodness for that. It's, what did he say? Both. Both. And how do I know it's both? Because the young people come with dynamic vision to an old man, an older man, and the older man doesn't get insecure, he doesn't get defensive, he says, wow, wow. You heard that from God before I did. Right, go and do something about it. So they're going off, and he he must have been thinking, Well, goodness me, how did that happen? How did I miss that? But he, he suddenly notices they've not left. He's not left. And he looks and why he said, Why haven't you left? He said, Because we want you to come with us, because we have the youthful energy, but you have the experience. Let's do this stuff together. Isn't that awesome? That's the position of older parent, grandparent types in this congregation and young guy types. You know, don't wait for older people around you to hear from God. And so I'll I'll move one. Let God speak into your life, young man. Let's speak into your life, young woman. Right? And then realize that in order to accomplish something, you need... The older people in church, and it may not be as old as me, they might be middle-aged, but people older, you, we need to work together to work on different ones' strength. The wisdom and the energy. Because this guy's too old to start cutting down trees, apparently. Anyway, so off they go now, and now we get to this verse, and it says, so he's gone with them, and it says, as one of the young men was cutting down the tree, this is six, 2 Kings 6, 5, I think, the iron axe fell into the water. Oh, no, my Lord, he cried out. It was borrowed. And the man of God, if he hadn't have been there and been insecure, he couldn't have done a miracle here. Okay? Because they'd brought him in their wisdom. The man of God asked, where did it fall? And he showed him the place. Elisha cut a stick, threw it in the river near where it fell, and made the iron float. Wow. Lift it out, he said, and the man reached out his hand and he took it. Let's imagine that we're the young man. Let's imagine all these young men here, you know, big macho guys and women, feminine. It happened to be guys who were in the story, but I never leave out the women. So, but in this case, it was the guys, and they're chopping down trees. And if you were a bystander, you'd look at us, oh, look at those guys, they're fit, look at them, look at the muscles going on there. They're bringing down the, aren't they great? They're bringing the trees down. Look at the energy. One guy in the middle has just noticed that the iron heads come off his axe. So he's got two choices. Now, I'm not insulting anybody's intelligence because it's a silly choice and you would never do it. One choice is to stop and say, I'm in a mess. I've lost my cutting edge. Someone say, I've lost my cutting edge. And we do in our Christian life. We do in our Christian... We lose a cutting edge. We're not as sharp as we used to be, spiritually, right? Just because we're enthusiastic doesn't mean we've got a cutting edge. Just because you're my age doesn't mean you've got a cutting edge. It means you're my age. Right? You could do what he did and say, hey, I'm in a mess here. I've lost my cutting edge. Or... He could, and nobody would do this, is to say, well, everybody's swinging their axe. And if the old man, the prophet, is looking, he's seeing. So what I'll do is I'll just continue wielding the handle, pretending I'm doing something. <laughs> because he likes activity. He likes energy. He likes to look as if I'm working. It was working, but it was a total waste of time because he had no cutting edge. Sometimes as Christians, we lose our cutting edge, but we continue on as if nothing has happened, not accomplishing anything for God, just we wielding a handle. But people say, oh, isn't he energetic? Isn't she energetic, doing things for God? Martha was making meals Jesus hadn't ordered. So let's look as we close in a few minutes and pray. These are the things... That meant that in his situation, he mended his nets. We've looked about mending the nets in getting answers to prayer. We've looked at mending the nets in in getting uh, in, in financial blessing. Now let's look at mending the nets in spiritual power. I'm not going to preach a long time, I'm afraid. On these, just going to give them to. You if you're taking notes, listening, is this recorded or not? I don't know. If it's recorded, then sometimes you might want to stop the. Whatever it is that we don't have CDs anymore, doing cassettes, whatever it is, stop the player or the computer and look at the verses or something. First thing, the and I, I, I know these days they say peaches don't like alliteration. You know, four things beginning with P. You remember that, but it helps you to remember things, doesn't it? So now we've got five things beginning with A. Five. I'm just going to mention them. Number one, acknowledgement. He cried out, oh, no, my Lord. In other words, I'm in a mess. I've lost my cutting edge. I've preached a few times in the past, thanks to the kind of invitation of your leaders. And you may have heard me, you know, say that one of the things I love about the Bible is its honesty. It doesn't assume everything's all right with us all the time. You look at the Old Testament characters. I'm talking about the big names. I'm not talking about people only mentioned in one verse. I'm talking about people, you know, Moses and Daniel and, uh, and and all these people. Of all the big names in the whole of the Old Testament, the big names, there's only one of them that it doesn't mention his or her failure. And that's Daniel. And he would have had failure. It's just he didn't mention it because we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. David committed adultery, Noah got drunk, Moses lost his temper, struck the rock, right? But God was able to use them because they got to a place of saying, Lord, help me, something's gone wrong. That's the first thing. So if I have looked at these other areas, husbands with wives, wives with husbands, uh, commitment to the house in terms of giving, all of these things. If I actually respond, who is this guy here to tell us anything here. Well, you're not mending your nets. If you say, Lord, John knows what's going on in my life. No, I don't. God knows what's going on in your life. You with me? So the first thing is, my first step, my first thread to mend my nets is an acknowledgement. Number two, say quick we're moving on. Number two, accountability. Help me, not only have I... Not only have I lost my cutting edge, but this was borrowed. In other words, at the end of this exercise, I've got to go back to the person who gave me the axe in the first place and said, sorry, that which you gave me to look after, for me to use, I've lost it. And there's a sense when we're manning our nets that we're all accountable. If you doubt, doubtful account, remember the story of the talents? Where the, the kings gave to one, one talent, five talents, ten talents, all that stuff. He said, Put this to work, like the axe, and when I come back, well, I will hold you accountable. And he came back, and the most of that parable is about the accountability issue. And said to the man who hid his talent in the ground, Why did you do it? And we heard, you know, you know what he said. And he blessed those who were faithful, and he couldn't bless those who weren't faithful. And we're accountable. We're accountable, so we're not just people who just come to church and enjoy the meetings and even, you know, support the church. Not just having good fellowship, enjoy the great to enjoy fellowship, great to enjoy the church, great to enjoy the teaching. But the Bible says we are accountable. See, that's the big thing about evangelism. I've lost a few friends over the years with cancer. Let's imagine that somebody i was a doctor—and somebody put in my hands the antidote to cancer that no one ever discovered. And I held that to myself, knowing it could change somebody's life. Just heard with this lovely brother that I've heard about this morning with leukemia. He's gone home to be with the Lord. And let's say it was somebody in this place and you had the answer to cancer and you allowed, you, you sang the worship sitting next to him and you never gave it him. Hey. What if you've got the answer to eternal life and you know how people can be saved and get to heaven? You never tell them at work, you never tell the neighbours. You've got the answer, because cancers only; these illnesses only kill us for this life. Sin separates us from God forever. We're carrying answers amongst people who need the answers, and if we don't give them the answer, now we can't guarantee they're going to accept the gift. We're just there to share the gift. That's why people think, you know, they get discouraged. I, I, I've I've shared my faith with far more people who never got saved. I've got people got saved, but there's more that I've shared it with that haven't got saved. Now forgive me if I I said this, I can't remember if I said this last time, if I go into a street, and I don't do door-to-door knocking, you know, that's not the way I do evangelism, not saying that's wrong, but let's imagine I went into a street over there, say there's 100 houses in the street, and I knock every door over a period. say there's 50 houses, say there's 50 houses in the street, and I knock every door at some point, share my faith, tell them how to come to Christ. And only one person out of out of fifty comes to Christ. Right? Pastor David says, John, how did you get on? And I said, How many decisions did you get? I'll say, I'm sorry, I only got one decision. Do you know in heaven there were fifty decisions? Because no, I will not give my life to Jesus is a decision. Our responsibility is to share our faith. You're faithful when you share your faith, even though people say no. So I don't get. I would rather people, my friends, give my neighbours, give their life to Christ than not. Obviously, but I've shared it. They made a decision. They made a decision. Now I'm not accountable. They're accountable. Number three: asking the right question. Number one is acknowledgement cried out, Lord, help me, I've lost my cutting edge. Number two, accountability, It's bo- I'm accountable, it was borrowed. Number three, ask the right question, where did it fall? Where was it in my Christian journey that it all seemed to go wrong? Often it, it doesn't happen in an instant, it happens by little bits. The Bible talks about, Paul talks about those who have um, wandered away from the truth. So they didn't run away from God, they just stop praying, and then they stop reading the Bible, and then they stop coming on a Sunday morning, and eventually they're lost. It's incremental. But sometimes when we lose our cutting edge, we can think, do you know, I lost my cutting edge when I fell out with him, or you fell out with her. Are you following me? I need to get that sorted. If I can get that sorted, then I might get my cutting edge back. Fourthly, out of the five, application. Where did it fall? He said, Well, I think it was round about there, but it was made of iron. So, and it's a deep river, so I don't think we're going to see it. So Just wait a minute. Um, where did it fall? You think it's around about there? Right, go and get me a bit of wood. He said, Well, we've been chopping wood all. No, no, don't get me a big wood like you've been cutting down. Just get me a piece of wood. He got this piece of wood, threw it in, and the iron came to the surface. Don't you wish you had a piece of wood? (laughs) I've got a piece of wood. It's the cross of Jesus. In a sinking situation when I've lost my cutting edge, this piece of wood, it's not magic. That would be juju, wouldn't it? This is the cross of Jesus. In my failure, in my loss of cutting edge, in, ma- in, in the areas we've talked about—finance, marriage—when things go wrong and things slip through our fingers, there is only one piece of wood that will make a difference. You see, that's not the first time it happened. Let me read you this: This is in Exodus fifteen twenty-three. This is Elisha. This is Moses. When they came to Marah, they could not drink its water because it was bitter. That is why the place is called Mara. The, that's what Mara means, bitterness. So the people grumbled against the leader, the pastor. So the people, they you'd never grumble against David, would you? But the people grumbled against Moses saying, what are we to drink? Moses cried out to the Lord, wait for this, it's coming. And the Lord showed him a piece of wood what is it about bits of wood that turns bitterness into sweetness failure into success because it's pointing to the cross let's go back to the iron if you've got something that d- moves with gravity and sinks you need to apply something that wood which is unsinkable if you throw that in the water it's not going to sink i counseling is great It's great when people counsel. great when people give us spiritual advice but you see if i was to counsel you i'll give you the biblical or your pastor was to counsel you more, or, or or carol was to counsel you then what happened they're giving you good advice and that kind of thing and it will be good advice it'll be biblical but at the end of the day we're human And there are many people who have given other people advice and sunk themselves. Tell other people how to do their marriage, and their marriage has failed. But when I come to Jesus, this is a wood that will never sink. This is one who will never fail. This is one who will never leave us or forsake us. This is one who says, I am the word made flesh. So preachers, at our best, we're words that tell the truth, but Jesus is the word, but he is the embodiment. He's the very embodiment of truth. And while I apply, you see, all of these things, and with this we close in a moment and pray, all of these things have to do with a sacrifice. It will I can't afford to start giving systematically. You can't afford not to give systematically. You want God to bless you. Well, I do, if I go to my wife and apologize for just my impatience, and we're all impatient with one another, but I think the Bible's talking a little bit more than impatience here. It's not talking about impatience. It's talking about systematically not being caring, not the odd, odd moment of, of, you know, of um, thoughtlessness. But if I go and say sorry, then that means, and we're all going to be different, and can we pray about this? That's going to hurt my pride, that sacrifice. What about the piece of wood? That sacrifice. Mm -hmm. That sacrifice. So they came tomorrow. And the last thing. Now we're going to pray in a moment. That's not the end of it, you see. He loses his cutting edge. He acknowledges it. He realizes accountable. He listens to the right question. When did it start? When did this problem happen? The next thing is, let's let God intervene by a miracle application, and then action. Because if that, if and when the iron comes to the surface, he goes and says, hey, guys, come on, look what an amazing leader we've got. He's just done a miracle. He's actually taken the iron that's gone to the bottom, it's come to the top. That's great, let's go and have our tea now. And leaves it there. I have to take it. He says, take it. I'm not, you know, I, I want this see, God will never do anything for us that we can do for ourselves. That's a big shock to Christians. It's a big shock. Because we think God to do everything. I've got to be careful I don't go into another message here. But when Lazarus died, one of those two sisters came, was it Martha, and said, if you'd only come earlier, Lord, he wouldn't have died. And he says, don't you believe that I can bring him back to life? She's, and so she thinks, "I'm the resurrection and the life." So she had a barrier in her spirit of faith. Are you with me? Jesus removed the barrier because she couldn't remove it. When they get to the grave, there's another barrier. It's over the tomb. Now Jesus could say, "Now I command the the big stone by the tomb move away." He didn't. He could do that. It happened in his own resurrection. Angels did it. But there were people with muscles. Hello, he says. You move it, because I you couldn't remove the doubt out of this woman's heart. I did that. That barrier you can move. Next barrier is bit of a big barrier. Lazarus is dead. Jesus says, Lazarus, come out. So the barrier to death, Jesus finished, but he didn't come out like you see on Cecil, Cecil Bill, uh, You know the big, uh, Selby Mill movies. You know, to a big orchestra in the background, and he comes out like this. Do you know how he came out? Because he's wound with grave clothes. He is alive, but he's bound by the symbols of death. You know, when people come into our church who've got no Christian background and they have really saved, God's got to undo a lot of grave clothes in their life. Yeah. And when you take grave clothes after somebody's been dead, you've got to be careful, because the Bible says putrefaction, you know, he'd rotted, basically. <laughs> the Bible says, behold, now he stinketh. That's not a word you put on birthday cards, is it? That's not, not a text. His body had rotted. So if he's now alive, but take the grave clothes off slowly. Those of us have been saved a long time, talking to older people, be patient with you Christians. Take the grave clothes off them slowly. It took us years for us to get free. And God's still trying to get us free as older people. So don't put our religion on them. Put our love and our grace and our gentleness and our patience on them. Because we got that. And we still need it, older ones. Oh, you shouldn't be doing that if you're Christian. Wait a minute, how long did it take you to get rid of that? Anybody with me this morning? Take... Now, Jesus could have said, grave clothes go. But he didn't. He didn't. He says, you couldn't remove the barrier in the woman's heart. I did that. You could remove the stone, so you do that. You couldn't bring it back to life. I did that. You can take the grave clothes off. I could do it, but you can do it because I won't do anything for you that you can't do. And why does things not get done in church? Oh, God could do it. Lord, fill this church. Yeah, He could fill the church by a miracle. People could start dropping out of the sky and falling in the seats. But we have a responsibility. I've got, (laughs) David, you've heard me preach. If I've ever, you've heard me say this, if any of you've heard me say this, just say, John, we've heard it. We do it when I, Marilyn, and I are out with friends. I start telling a story. She says, I think you told him about it last time. <laughs> I depend on her to say we've heard it. Now, did I ever tell you about the best prayer meeting I was ever in in my life? Have I told you that? No. This is it. Now, I've just not long ago was in the big one, thousands of people in the Praying for the Nation in uh, London, in the whatever. But it was an ordinary prayer meeting, right? This is important. This is, be with me now. I had been choosing some new leaders. I was a pastor of a church in Cheltenham at the time, 1980 this would be, and I'd chosen some, and one of them was particularly younger than normal. You know, Most of them were old, wise, not old, but middle-aged wise, and this one was a young guy, but you know, I knew God, he wasn't perfect, I'm not perfect, none of us are, but he had some way to go yet, but I could see great potential in him. Some people, I think, they wouldn't argue with me, but think, I wonder if it was a bit too early to bring him in as a leader. I know they were thinking that, you know, but they'd go with me because I'm a pastor. So we had a thing in a Bible, when we had a prayer meeting in the middle of the week, I would have a thing called the five-minute word. And it's for people who don't normally preach, but I can see potential in them. So they can't do much wrong in five minutes, can they? So that's what I thought. So I said to this guy called Ken... Ken, would you do the, new new leader, could you do the five-minute word? So I'd give out all the prayer requests, you with me? Got the list, then a little word from the Psalms or some encouraging thing, five minutes, gets him hearing the sound of his own voice used, and then next time it'll be ten minutes, next time he's preaching, or you know what I mean, that's the idea. So, Ken, can you do the, yes, yes, pastor. So I now get up and say, you know that I brought this new leader in. Here he is today. He's going to do the 10-minute word, I think it was. Five or 10 minutes. I think 10-minute word. 10-minute word. All oh, right. Oh, that's the guy pastor's chosen. And I'm thinking, dear Lord, make a good job of this now. I'm not really worried too much. He gets up, and I nearly want to fall off my seat. He said, I want to speak for 10 minutes on how to answer your own prayers. Hello? I was wishing it was a Baptist street he was standing on. I could press a button, and he would disappear away from view, because he's in my prayer meeting, telling the people, it's time to answer your own prayers, and I can see people looking at me, all heads, they do this with pastors, don't they, when things go wrong, all the heads go, your fault, your fault, your fault, you asked him, so I thought, I'll let it go, you know, we just, we're just we're sort, it's 10 minutes, what can go wrong, everything goes right. I won't go into the whole prayer list, but I'll mention two things on the prayer list. We had the still there, a disabled center outside Shelton called the Star Center. and it had a minibus and they, they would have about eight people would come in from the Star Center in the minibus and they wanted to come to our meeting and this, the minibus however they had more wanting to come who, uh, to the service than we had transport for. On my list was let's pray for more transport. So Ken says, don't let's pray, pastor. How many people here pass the Star Center on the way to the prayer meeting? You do. How many seats have you got in your car? Three, two, two. How many do we need pastor? Eight, right. Uh, how many of you got, sir? One, uh, that's right. How many of you got? End of the prayer request, we had all the seats. <laughs> now, I mentioned Ghana earlier on, for, didn't I? There was a great need in one of our uh, clinics and hospitals in Ghana for medical equipment. I mean, not drugs, this was like x-ray machines and stuff like that. Big stuff. And I um, say m- most of the people in Ghana, they supply the stuff, they don't look out for the West. People think people in Africa who always have to look for the West, they don't. They, they sacrifice themselves. Well, on this occasion, they really needed some help. And so my on my list was someone who said, let's pray for the situation in Ghana in our hospitals. Ken says, how about if we don't pray? How about if we take up an offering? <laughs> Scary stuff. The treasurer's eyes light up. Out they bring the baskets. They take it around. You don't have it in a prayer meeting. What can, and make sure, pray what you can do for Gardner. I looked in the thing. Well, let's strike that. We don't have to pray for that. We went through the whole prayer list and had nothing to pray for. Are you following me? God will not do things for us that we can do for ourselves. Come on, let's pray. What a blessing to be with you. Piece of wood, place of sacrifice, points to the cross. If it was just one piece of wood, there would be no significance. But when you see Moses doing it, and when you see Elisha doing it, hundreds of years later, there's something going on here. What is this pointing to? It's like the lamb who points to Jesus. The piece of wood is pointing to the cross. For me to mend my nets, it's going to cost me something. It might cost me my pride. It might cost me energy. It might cost me to not stop doing, but say Lord what do I need to repair so making what I'm doing more effective have I lost my cutting edge I'm not going to go through every one of these points and ask us to raise our hand what I'm going to ask us to do there's no cameras here I'm asking what I always ask only ask you one thing when I come here at this point in the meeting no one looks around what other people are doing okay so give people privacy here and I know you always do, bless your heart, you're a great church for this, you do give people privacy. Because I want this moment for us to be real, and I want to know, I will not ask anybody to stand up, I will ask you to raise your hand in a second, won't ask you to stand up, and I certainly won't bring you out to the front. But you have heard me bring a word, it's not my word, it's the word of the Lord, obviously. I'm, I've given you a text for everything I've said. And you say, do you know, John's on my case, but no, he's not, God's on your case. And God wants you to retain more. He wants you to be blessed more in your financial life. He wants to be blessed more in your married life. He wants to be blessed more in your, in your prayer life. He wants you to be blessed more in your spiritual power and effective life. But he doesn't do anything we can do for ourselves. And what we do for ourselves is to mend the nets that stop it happening as far as we can do it. And while heads head's bowed and eyes are closed, and thank you again, no one's looking at other people. If God has spoken to you But more than this, you're willing to do something about what you now know. Because the big thing about preaching is this. When you finish preaching, the congregation and the pastors, that means me as the preacher in this case, have to ask the question, what do I now do about what I now know? The miracle of the iron floating is no good unless I reach into the water, action, and take it and grasp it and make a difference. And you say, God has spoken to me. I'm going to do something different about what I now know now. And I'm making this commitment to God today. It will be my mending of the nets. If that's you, raise your hand right where you are. I'll say, bless you, bless you, bless you, bless you, bless you, bless you, bless you. Wow, a lot that's why I love coming here. so many honest people in the house. Put your hand down. All right, you won't be asked to stand. You won't be asked out to come to the front. Thank you, Lord. That's why I will travel the distance to come here. Because I know I'm talking to people, A, who love the word of God, because you're used to getting the word faithfully given every week. But you love the word of God and you are honest. This church is an honest church. I've tried to be honest with you. I'm not trying to make myself out to be Superman. I'm saying we all need to hear this word together. Because there's times in our life where we all lose our cutting edge if we're not careful. I want to pray over your life. So, Father, for those who raise their hands, Father, thank you for their honesty, their transparency. thank you, Father, for being real. Thank you, Father, now that from this moment, as they have seen the area that applies to them, because so many of the areas won't apply to everybody at all, but there are some things the Holy Spirit has challenged us with. In those areas, by an action of their will and the commitment of their heart, then Father, and by them actually doing something about it, they were going to repair their nets. So prayer is going to be more effective, power is going to be more effective, and financially they're going to be more blessed. Father, we don't need to pray for those things because you said if we do things, you will respond and do. And so we just live in obedience to what you said, believing now for your best in Jesus' name. And all God's people said... Man. Yeah.